Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about how to become a priest. That's right. We're going to look at the process of becoming a priest, how to discern it, what the requirements are, what you can expect, and more. And I look forward to sharing my testimony of how I came to discern the priesthood. But the most important thing is discernment. So let's talk about it. talk a lot about our time in the seminary, your priesthood, uh, discernment. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot to unpack here. And I think a lot of people have been asking for this uh, particular yeah, topic. We have a lot of young men say, look, I'm really considering the priesthood. I'm, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm 20. I'm watching your show. Um, you know, I see how Father Rich lives. I see how other priests live. And it's something that I really am considering that I might have a calling towards. Can you help us? Can you talk about this and some things that we might expect? So we wanted to do that today. Yeah, and, and this shows yeah. this shows for you, and it's and it's really for everybody out there because something that we've talked about in the past is the need to encourage and culture uh, an, an atmosphere of discernment, you know, for all people, and it's it's by the process of that, you know, really in interiorly discerning God's voice in your life, what is he calling you to, uh, to learn those techniques is very, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's start with, I think, the first place to start off is, are you even qualified to be a priest? Because there's some requirements that can't be gotten around no matter how much you discern. Number one, you got to be a dude, okay? John Paul closed that. So for all you women out there who want to be a priest, my apology is not up for us, not up for even the church to make it available to you. It's not something that the church is holding back from you. It's something the church can't do. The church cannot make women into priests. So that's one. Um, the second is you have to be between 17 and 55. So for all my brothers out there who are 65 years old, retired, and looking for a second career or something to do during retirement, it's not really open to you because there's, there's uh, I guess, you know, some practicalities about age that make it uh, not available to you. And, and the bishop, the bishop can decide certain that in cases, yeah, in certain cases, like the bishop can really do whatever he wants. Yeah. Um, but you know, the other, the other uh, aspect of this canonically too, um, if somebody, I don't know if you guys know this, but if somebody attempts suicide or, or self-harm to that point huh. um, is also prohibited from mm -hmm. the clerical state. Wow. Got to have hands. You gotta have hands. Do you still? Actually, yep. they relaxed. They relaxed. Um, it's it's not the same. There was one saint, and I can't, I'm yeah. sorry, I can't remember, but he had a disfigured hand. Yeah. And they said, well, because your hand is disfigured, you can't celebrate the mass, so you can't be in priesthood. And he got a dispensation. This is like in the 1600s. Yeah. yeah. I, can't, I wish I remembered his name, but I. And don't. I don't think that that canon is still, still in yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. Um, another big thing is, you you can't have a bunch of debt, right? You don't or run kids that you're financially supporting. Well, you can't have kids. Oh, you can have kids. There's, yeah, plenty yeah, of, yeah. there's plenty of priests that have kids. Yeah. They have to be grown. Oh, grown. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, Delacrosse, you can't take your six-year-old kids and be like, hey, I'm going to become a priest now. <laughs> even no, if, even if, if my you're wife single. died and all my kids were grown, <laughs> yeah. there, there's a, you know, a chance um, there. But you can't have big financial debt, right? Mm -hmm. You can't yeah. come to the church and say, look, I got fifty thousand dollars in student loans. I owe sixty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt. I've got a house and a mortgage. 
uh, you want to take me in? And the church is like, I'm sorry, you got to get your, your life and together And a first. lot of religious communities, you know, definitely approach that. Yeah. You know? I knew a guy um, in our young adult group that he wanted to become a priest and de- the debt held him back. You yeah. know, there was a lot of people that I met too along the way where, you know, their student loans, they had mm-hmm. to, they had to resolve their student loans before they went in. And there's, for anybody who's considering the priesthood and who has student loans and that's holding you back, there's a lot of groups out there that that's will right. help you pay them off that's right. because they want to support the priesthood. But they're also vet you so that you're not just going to get in a free check, right? right. They help you work that out and, and make you eligible. That was the thing that I was upset about, like when I was studying at Ave and discerning priesthood, is they had like wonderful scholarships at the time because they were supporting vocations, a lot of the patrons of the university. And um, but there were guys that were just joining the pre-theologate just to just to get those types of scholarships yeah. and really not taking discernment seriously. Yeah. And then a couple other requirements that aren't the same across the board, but it's you can't convert and then the next week enter the seminary. Yeah, yeah. Typically, they want you to wait two, three years, right? Mm-hmm. They want you to have a little seasoning on you. And if you've discerned out of another order or another diocese, they typically want you to have a little cooling off period of maybe a year or two as well. Mm-hmm. So those are some very, very broad requirements just in case any of those things would rule you out. But, you know, Father Rich, why did you decide to become a priest? I mean, what's your story? What made you, you know... How does that work out in your head, in your heart, practically? Where'd you have to go to school? Like, what's what's that look like for a person? Yeah, for for me, you know, priesthood was never in the radar at all. Like, I, there was no way that I would even have given it a second thought uh, growing up. Um, but when I when I turned twenty, really, when I was nineteen, and I was I was in New Jersey, I was you know. Uh, walking on, practicing with the basketball team, and and just kind of living living life. Um, I had a couple of like sincere moments of being affected by God's love. I would pass by Our Lady of Mercy in Park Ridge, New Jersey, on the way to school, and um, and I would make the sign of the cross because that's how I was always raised. Whenever you pass a church. And I stopped in one day and went to confession for the first time in years. And uh, there was a priest in there. The church was empty. And that was like a big, big moment of realizing God's pursuing love. What called you into that church? I know you drove it, past it, but it like was, what, what made you say, I'm stopping and going in? You know, like it was, um, I, I just I just felt this gut instinct feeling like, just stop. You've got time this morning stop and go go see the church and i went up to the church opened up the door the door was open and i just felt very led by god to to do that um and then i was walking around looking at the stained glass windows it was really quiet and i was i was loving it you know and and i hadn't darkened the door of a church for a while at that point and um and then all of a sudden this old guy came out of nowhere i didn't see him at all and he said, hey, go in there. And he, he pointed and a priest was, I walked in. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like I, I went in and I looked around the corner and there was a priest sitting with a purple stole on. And um, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to confession. Like the priest like, wow. sat down and like, and dude, I just, I just lost it. I just cried my eyes. I was so. You cry? Believe it or not, <laughs> man. It just all. And you weren't going in there seeking confession. No, right? not at all. And like, I just, I just repented like spiritually by, by get the gift of God. Like it wasn't something that like I prayed about or it just happened. Um, so that was a, that was a big moment in my life where God, I felt like God was pursuing me. Do you remember who that priest was? No, no. Crazy. Yeah. And, um, 
so from there, that was the first huge moment. Like, whoa, I've fell off the wagon. And, you know, I, that first mass, like my penance was to go to mass that weekend. And um, it was John the Baptist, the Feast of John the Baptist. And um, then I came back to Florida for knee surgery, kind of fell off the wagon and, and got swallowed up in darkness. Um, and then it was after my second knee surgery that uh, that God just blew up my life when I opened up the scriptures. I prayed and there was a Bible that miraculously showed up on my on my kitchen counter. Don't know how I got there. I crutched back to my room with this Bible and and I you opened it up. from knee surgery at yeah, the time. Yeah, and I had I had a lot of time on my hands, and um, I just started reading the scriptures. I wound up getting a catechism from my from my grandmother and got every type of religious movie, and I just started digging in, man. And it was absolutely life changing, and just realizing the love of God, you know, very charismatically with different dreams and and experiences, praying the rosary. Um, learning all of that stuff as I was recovering. It's on very the, much on like St. Ignatius. Yeah, and and there's yeah. you know there's a lot. I think there's a lot of uh, relatability. Got his, he got his knee blown out by a cannonball, couldn't move, so they st- he's stuck there, and he's kind of a rascal. So they stocked his room for of, of all religious books, and he was stuck there and didn't have any other options. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of sounds similar to me. And I got I got hit by the Holy Spirit big time over and over again, over and over again. I'm like, wow, the love of God is real. Like the scriptures, you know, really began to transform my life. So I started going back to church and just corralling all of my friends and like forcing them to go to church. Like I was just like picking them up and like, you're coming with me. Like yeah. God's real. And and I just began to give testimony like to the experience. I started taking classes at the community college and, and uh, got the youth director's position at the church and, but still never really thought like priesthood mm-hmm. because I always wanted to get married. I always want to have kids and, and, uh, you know, and it was in the process of dating a bunch of girls. Like I was, I was showing, I, I was just a basically, bunch of girls all at once. Well, wow. I mean, it was, it was, you know, I was, I was really trying to find somebody that, you know, want to get married to oh. and you know like relationships weren't working out so i'd just kind of we'd date for a little bit and then i'd kind of move on and and i would i would take these girls to father john tetlow and he was the vocations director at the time and i would just always introduce him like well, what do you think about what do you think about her and and he was always super nice he's like oh yeah i like her a lot buddy like she's great you know, all your girlfriends are going through your friend like who's this jesus you always text in <laughs> <laughs> well one of the girls actually was super jealous of my relationship with father tetlow i'm like how would you be jealous of my relationship <laughs> with a priest it was the weirdest thing and you know so did not start discerning even though at that point i was working at the church every day um falling in love with the ministry as Fall- a youth director as a youth director i was basically the handyman anything that anything that father john needed i did and i visited nursing homes and hospital calls communions to the sick all that type of stuff i started doing i'm like this is beautiful man i could do this for the rest of my life yeah. but it didn't connect for me in my brain like maybe god's calling me to the priesthood and then people started expressing to me like oh richard you you'd be a good priest you should be a priest you should be a priest and it didn't register at all. And um, it wasn't until John Paul II was declining in health and they were, you know, just blowing up his life online and, and uh, on the news and stuff and just really experiencing firsthand, like, God calls just normal guys. Like, I, I've never felt like, you know, I'm going to be this awesome priest or whatever. Like, God calls regular, normal guys. And, and JP two was that example for me. So that's when everything started to stir in my heart. And 
you know, I, I started being open uh, to the call. Delacrosse went in um, a year before me. And that, that was also huge because at the time there wasn't really a ton of uh, vocations in the diocese. So to have somebody that is, you know, just still a, a lifelong friend uh, go in front, in front of me, it kind of opened up the door. And, and, um, and then I had just a powerful experience where it was undeniable that I, I really needed to look at this and, and really open myself up to the process of discernment. Um, and that's the thing about discernment. It's like, it's not just my personal thought, like, hey, I, I think I'm called to be a priest. It's the church discerning my vocation, too. Like, it's my superiors. It's the rector of the seminary. It's it's the faculty. It's the staff. It's my peers. Like, do, do my peers, do my superiors see the priesthood in me? Mm-hmm. Like, do, do they recognize mm-hmm. priestly character? Yeah. And uh, that's an important factor of all of it. Well, because you have to be accepted, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just say, "Well, I'm going to become a priest, whether you like it or not." I mean, there there is a level of acceptance to that, and yeah. and, and not only acceptance, but like literally the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the bishop calls you to orders. That's a, that's an important factor. So, th- in so, all so, this. so I guess that's how you kind of end up in seminary, right? I mean, how does the bishop know to call you? Like, what what happens? So there? the bishop calls you to orders after a period of discernment from the church. So. Out of the out of the good reputation that one may have, you know, do you know him to be noble? Do you know him to be worthy of this of this calling? Do you have to be? Do you have to ask to be considered for that, or there, do they say, "Hey, you'd make a good priest," and the bishop calls you? How's that work? Well, it, it's through the seminary. So you you have to enter the seminary. You have to enter into years of formation and relationship with the discernment. So and how discernment. You, so how do you enter the seminary? What's that process look like? Because I think a lot of people wonder. Yeah, about that. and and that's and that's the thing. It's like. If you're out there just like, hey, you know, how, how would I enter the seminary? Just call the vocations office. You know, like call the vocations office. Every single diocese has a vocations office. You could find their number on, on, the, on the web. And, you know, for me, it was easy because Father Tetlow was the vocations director. And, you know, he put me in touch with, the, you know, his assistant, got the paperwork in, and I sat down and I was interviewed by a diocesan committee with the bishop, mm-hmm. and they asked me all sorts of questions, uh, you know, my devotion to Our Lady and, you know, things about my past, my history, all that. And um, they approved me for candidacy and, and, and going into the seminary, um, and they, you know, they affiliated me mm-hmm. as, a, as an official person who was uh, who's discerning. Um, so there's some paperwork involved. There's a psyche eval as well. So you go through a psychological evaluation. Um, you know, there's that interviewing process. And then once what you get into like? the, it's, it's nothing like I was super nervous. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, was, I was really, really nervous. I remember after answering all the questions, I'm like, that was terrible. Like, <laughs> and I went into the chapel and I'm praying, I'm like, Jesus, you know, like, if you're calling me to this, like, please just, you know, make them, make them be merciful. And like, you know, what kind of question they ask you all, all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, I, I put, you know, um, you put personal information that you, they, you present your, you know, autobiography. Um, so they ask you about decisions that you made in your life or, you know, if you partied, like they ask you about that, they, um, relationship questions. So it's, it's pretty, Digging. It's personal. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget uh, my interview. Um, there's a, it's, there's a lot of people in there. Yeah, it's it's kind of, you know, 
And they put you at the head of the table. They put you at the head of the table. It's 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 kind of scary. And the bishop was at the very far end, and he was pretty small. Bishop Gallion, he's a small guy, so you really couldn't make him, you know, see him unless you kind of, because he was just there, you know, doodling notes and stuff. And uh, so one of the ladies like, well, you know, you're partying, like, you know, when you you know, party, did you just party by yourself? And I was like, oh, no, man. I, I mean, I, I had really big parties. Like, I was, I was explaining. I was it's kind ex- of a big deal in Jacksonville. Well, you know, I, I, didn't, and I didn't know how much information I needed to give them, and I didn't know where they were going. So I kind of just started talking about, you know, some of the parties that I had. And, and then one of the committee members, this old lady, was like, I was at one of those parties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I'll never forget. I'll never forget sweet Bishop Gallion. I mean, just a very passionate sweet guy um he kind of like peers his head out of the table and he's again he's at the end so nobody really sees him doing this and he's like no like just stop (laughs) so i told you to stop yeah he just kind of looked out and he's just like you're good man reel it in and uh yeah and 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 just the feeling of after that to, to to sit down with him and for him to say that that I reminded him of Saint Augustine, mm-hmm. and he gave me a book about Saint Augustine. He goes, read this. This guy is, has your story. So like just the compassion yeah. and the passion that he had, just for me as a person and, and the care for my soul to to sit down with me. And, and obviously he has to accept you, but he's like, I'm I'm really grateful that you you're going to be joining us in the seminary. That was just a really yeah. awesome moment mm-hmm. for me. You know, mm-hmm. in this in that whole process, and it, and it's so affirming. It is, you know, because yeah. when a bishop is telling you, like, I'm I'm going to affiliate you, you're a seminarian. He's essentially saying, like, what's happening in your heart and soul is like Validated. real. Like, it's it, yeah. this is really happening yeah. in your life, and to have that affirmation spiritually is is yeah. immensely uh, supportive right. and and fatherly. You know, yeah. and. and in all respect, like Bishop Galeon affiliated me too. And it was a big deal because when I gave that talk about being open to the vocation. Wait, so like, Bishop Galeon accepted both of you? Yeah. 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 I don't know question his judgment. Well, <laughs> the, the issue though for me was Bishop Galeon did not like my talk that I gave that day about being open to the call. Like he did not like it at all. So, and that came, that came. So now it's like, you what, know, did, what didn't he like about it? I don't I don't know. I was using like the purpose driven life to like base the talk <laughs> on like vocation. You know, I don't I, I was just a fired up, you know, 21, 22 year old. He had his old school kid. Italian uh, peculiarities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And you know, like an example of this with Galeon, super smart, like and knew tons of languages. And he was on a committee when they were revising the liturgy and and looking at the Latin. And he's and I'm doing a consecration to the Blessed Mother, and I'm in the cathedral, and I'm praying. And he comes out of nowhere, and he says, "Richard, what are you what are you doing for dinner?" I said, uh, "Nothing, nothing, Excellency." He said, uh, "Have dinner with me tonight." I said, "Okay, Bishop, thank you. You know, I'm just going to finish, and I'll I'll come over to the to the cathedral to the rectory." And um, so I go over there. We sit down, and you know, it's quiet and it's awkward, and I'm just sitting there, you know, like you know. And he he starts to say, Richard, they want to translate the second Eucharistic prayer that the Holy Spirit would come over these gifts like dew. <laughs> the dew fall. Like uh, the dew uh, fall. And, and, and he said, and, uh, and, then he go, and then he goes, Richard, can you imagine the little children 
in the congregation saying, Mama, why the Holy Spirit go doo-doo on Jesus? Oh, my God. And, bro, like, I lost it. Like, I just started laughing hysterically. I'm, like, dying laughing. And he looks at me and says, Richard, you laugh, but it is not funny. And I'm like... Oh, dude, that's so awkward. <laughs> it was so awkward. So, I mean, this has been my relationship with Bishop Galeone from the beginning. So I'm like, oh, man, he's not going to affiliate me. He's not going to, you know. And then he was so impressed with the formation that I was receiving at Ave Maria. Like he saw how, you know, where I was a year before to like this this kind of tr- the transformation that he saw. Mm-hmm. Because I was raw, man. We were both, we were both really, yeah. really, really raw. And um, so it was just such a blessing, man. And receiving that affirmation, going to the seminary, he let me stay at Ave Maria. So he let me continue my formation. I was an endorsed seminarian for for the diocese. And then from there, he put me at St. Vincent's and and uh, St. Vincent's of the major seminary. So typically, you know, you're looking so, at anywhere from six to nine years. In formation. So did in you seminar? did so were they paying for Ave Maria for you? At the time I was taking I, I had uh, student loans, student but I also loans. had scholarships and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. But then seminary, they will pay for you. They pay, yeah. 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 And even if they if they send you to the minor seminary, yeah. they they pay as well. Right. Then but if you if you uh leave the seminary, are you on the hook for that? Well that that's the way I feel it should be. Yeah. And and they should treat it like a loan, like yeah. a diocesan it's loan like for formation. Yeah, it's an but investment. Is it though? It's not. It's so not. yeah. Okay. And and that, you know, that affects the budget. That's why most dioceses like give to your stewardship appeal. Mm-hmm. Give to your bishop stewardship appeal. It's not cheap to yeah. run these seminaries and and all the bishops have the responsibility mm-hmm. of running these seminaries and you want good seminaries. Yeah. Uh, you want good professors and and I'm grateful that that I went to St. Vincent's and developed all the yeah. you know relationships with the guys from the state of Florida and and the teachers I had and you know, very, very proud to be a, an alumnus there as well. So I, I think also the, the educational part, you know, if you, if you have a college degree, usually you're on a different track mm-hmm. than if you have not had a college degree. Um, so there's a different variety of institutions that they would send you to. So mm-hmm. not necessarily the diocesan institution, but they might have, you know, a stake in another seminary that the formations for older mm-hmm. men. Yeah, like um, guys who have been yeah. married and now they're widowed. Right. And then they go to like a, a John the Twenty Third, you know, uh, in Boston, you know, and and that's a that's a four year program. So they're really basing a lot of you know their experience, yeah. you know, their professional careers, their education, and they they really focus in on on those f- four years of intensive study. Well, let's talk about like the common denominators of what to expect in a seminary, regardless of your educational mm-hmm. formation. Um, you know, for me. I I went in during the crisis, right, Mm -hmm. when all you heard about was all this craziness going on. And I thought the guys that I were going to be seeing, they were going to be effeminate. I thought they were, you know, I I had these projections in my mind that were given to me from the media. And I was, man, and I arrived at this seminary and we had the best basketball games. I mean, like we were were throwing elbows, man, and there's a lot of young guys just that um, we're still Mm -hmm. friends with today. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's set up to where you learn the philosophy of the church first, right? So before you study theology, generally speaking, your undergrad degree is in philosophy, philosophy. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, for me, that was life changing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you have the liturgical, uh, you know, environment, um, you have what you have formation advisors for your spiritual advisor. Mm -hmm. You have a 
human formation mm-hmm. advisor, mm-hmm. and you have an academic mm-hmm. advisor. So, um, or they might be woven into just one person that that uh, advises you there. So you have this process of discernment that's still open. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage men, like if you don't know, right, you don't know about the calling. The seminary is the best place to find out. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Like and, it is the best place to find and, out. And I think it's. I think it would be valuable to know too that you know there's internal formators and then right. there's external formators. What's the difference? And the internal formators is is in confidence. So that's like your confessor okay. essentially. So you're going to confession to your your confessor or your spiritual director. So that's more internal form. External form is your academic. You know your pastoral formator like yeah. that that's in charge of your, your music pastoral teacher. assignment. Your yeah. yes, Sister Joyce Lavoy. Love that woman. Yeah, me too. Soul. We you almost too. thought you would no, try still, the other still day. Still alive. Yeah, don't wow. say that. I, I, Sister Joy, if you're hearing this, he's still he's still how he was when you knew him. He does he does and he does. Sister Joyce, you gotta know too that could you imagine both of us together at the major seminary? Thank goodness that never happened. Yes. I would walk in the in the choir and be like, my sister, how are you doing, my sister? <laughs> oh, you guys are insufferable. They've been terrible. Oh, was, we had some fun, man. That was a lot of fun. So those are the kinds of classes, like in seminary. So you're taking like philosophy, yeah. uh, you're taking like theology, like literature. It's liberal, like liberal arts, man. Like you're, it's, it's like a, it's like going to college. Yeah, yeah, it's going to college. So it's a liberal arts degree, and and you know you're basically focusing in on philosophy, but you're taking history, you're taking. But you the know, environment of the seminary is centered around obviously daily mass, mm-hmm. the liturgy, liturgy of the, the hours, hours. Mm-hmm. Um, external. Events might include a visit to, uh, you know, a senior home or, uh, you know, feeding the poor. Um, and that's weekly commitments. Then you have house jobs, too. Right. You have Th- house this jobs. is you minor seminary. You, uh, minor, minor and major. And major. What's the difference? Yeah. So minor is where you're getting your undergrad degree. Major is where you're getting your master's degree. Theology. So, yeah. And, and it's a master in divinity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess the the point I was trying to make is that, Unlike a university where you're going to class, you're socializing with people around you, you're going to restaurants and all this, the seminary really is just kind of like a, a monastic. It's it's, it, it's a place where you live in community, like almost like a religious order, but yeah. not. But but the environment itself lends to a deeper mm-hmm. prayer, a deeper fraternity with brothers. Um, everybody's on the same path to discerning the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, it, and it's kind of a, a, a cloister, if you will. You know, it's there's there's an element to that to where you're really not in too much contact with the outside yep. world. And that was that was our regional seminary. You yeah. know, there's other seminaries that are associated with universities, mm-hmm. so they're going to classes sure. with other university students. Like CUA but, or something. Yeah. yeah. So so there's it's there's different. different there's yeah. different ones, but certainly for the region, uh, yeah. that that was our experience. What yeah. do you wear there? When do you get the cassock? So we really didn't wear the cassock at all, unless you were unless you were serving. Um, you, you really don't wear your collar until uh, candidacy, really, and then um, certainly as a transitional deacon, that's when you that's when you're wearing. Uh, your... Does everybody do a pastoral year? Why don't you talk yeah. a little bit about that? So within a five year master's program, one of those years is experiential. So you do a pastoral year. Um, and again, that's also, it depends. Like some of the guys that go to Rome, they don't get a, some of them don't, aren't required to have a pastoral year. Some guys request a pastoral year, like Father Clay requested a pastoral Mm -hmm. year. Um, 
So, you know, it gives you an opportunity of getting in the parish, learning the day-to-day operations, which is so valuable. And I highly recommend that everybody have that experience. So even internship. Yeah. Even if you're discerning the priesthood, like get involved in the church first. Like don't, don't just like come at it from like, maybe I'll become a priest. Like that's a, that's a good idea. You need to kind of really entering to a active role within the church, whether that's visiting the sick, whether that's youth ministry, whether that's catechesis, whether it's, you know, praying the rosary with the rosary ministry after, you know, whatever it is, but like enter into an active role, you know, just so that you can kind of feel out like, do I want to be a public person? Do, do I, I see myself? Do I see myself yeah. in this environment? Mm-hmm. Um, do I feel called to do this uh-huh. type of work? That's kind of helpful before you even get in. Some guys go into the seminary and they haven't even spent any time in ministry in ministry yeah. or or doing that i came from the other side of right. it where i was working day to every single day i had the keys i was responding to calls in the middle of the night i i, I knew the operations um father tetlow gave you a lot of accessibility to, to the ministry of the church so true and and i think it was because he saw in you a passion and a sincere mm-hmm. desire to yeah. help um, but I think that really, I think that was really a very pivotal thing. Just looking at you yeah. from the outside, that that was a very pivotal thing. It's like an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he is Father Tetlow is just a he's just a force, and um and and, and his, to trust me, dude. I was like yeah. twenty one. I was twenty one yeah. years old, and he he trusted me with everything. Yeah, and just you know talking about Father Tetlow, one of the most amazing experiences I had uh, with him was we we went around. Uh, I mean, it, it, he prayed at Chinacolo. Yeah, yeah. We went and visited some people and like, it was such a full day of watching him be a priest. And we went back to his rectory cause I was, I was staying there cause I was in the seminary and I just remember him just disappearing to his room. We were all exhausted and, and he was just laying down on in his bed and he's like, Ryan, can you imagine coming home to a wife? He says, I'm just so full of God's love right now. I don't think I can actually you know, pour it out to somebody and then make, you know, so it was just kind of like understanding yeah. his mindset of just giving, 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 giving in the church and the energy that is created from mm-hmm. that, that he just possesses in his, with himself, with Jesus, you yeah. know, and just being able to see that it's, it's very fortunate. You're very fortunate to have somebody where you can see the priesthood, yeah. you know, in somebody. It was like, I believe it was like a year and a half to almost two years that I was there in the parish working mm-hmm. before I went to Ave Maria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing that on a day-to-day basis yeah. was was absolutely mm-hmm. impressive to me. And and it's true. And, and shat, shadowing a priest, <clears throat> that's the whole concept of the pastoral year. Yep. Is, is really shadowing the priest on the day-to-day level. It's hit or miss, you know, it's hit yeah. or miss. We're, you know, right, right. but uh, I mean, it just some, depends on the Sometimes you shadow Mike Schmidt, sometimes you shadow Pagano. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, uh, you know, that, that five-year master's program is basically split down the middle with that pastoral experiential, uh, you know, thing that we call pastoral year. So you have the first two years, you know, first theology, second theology. And then you finish in the third and the fourth. Um, essentially, the third, that's when you're ordained a, a transitional deacon. Um, I wanted to talk about that real Sure, quick. sure. So there's minor orders, right? And they don't call them the minor orders anymore. They call them the ministries. But throughout the, all of the history of the church, it was the minor orders. And that's porter, lector, exorcist, 
and acolyte, and then transitional mm -hmm. deacon. Mm -hmm. Is there anything of that tradition left? Because I know that you still have to do those ministries, you know, like kind of like in six month intervals. Like, yeah. what was that like? The uh, the installation of a, being a lector in the church. That's like universally. You're installed universally in I the mean, church. That's like, and you actually get hands laid yeah, on for that, yeah, right? Yeah. So, but you're not technically and like a you cleric, wouldn't be though. delegated at another parish. Yeah. You know, like you've already been installed as a lector in the church. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with acolyte. You're installed as an acolyte, and and uh, you're there to prepare the altar and mm -hmm. to prepare this for the celebration. Um, and they can't take that away from you, even if you no, don't become right, a priest. No, no. So he's he's still lector. an installed lector. He's yeah. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, those those installation and rites of becoming uh, are still very very much a part right. of of the journey toward the priesthood. So if you discern out between your transitional deacon and becoming a priest, you discern out somewhere in between there. You have to appeal that... to Rome. If you're oh, a transitional deacon, you have to appeal to Rome. Yeah, because you have you have valid orders. You you are okay. a cleric at that yeah. point. Yeah, so you yeah. have to be laicized. Yeah. yeah, you have to be laicized. Mm -hmm. You can't be a deacon in the church later. No. Okay, no. because gotcha. it's a transitional deacon. It's different than a permanent deacon. Gotcha. And the okay. intent is Correct. different. Yeah. Gotcha. And and if you're if you're ordained a deacon, it's not like oh yeah, I kind of want to get married. Like and that's even in the Eastern rite. Yeah. Uh, so it's like once you once you get ordained and you're not married, uh, that's it. In in the Eastern rite. Yep. So even if you were a deacon now, and you're a lay you're a lay person, you're not married, and you become a permanent deacon, you can't get married after becoming a deacon. Correct. I mean, it's, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So, it's a consecrated life. I mean, yeah. you're you're consecrating your life. To so the mission. after those kind of those orders, like at what point in college do you become that transitional deacon? What's that? point and what's what's what is a transitional deacon mm -hmm. so a, a transitional deacon there's really in function there's no difference between a permanent deacon or a transitional deacon the issue with the transitional deacon it's it's really an experiential year where you are sacramentally functioning in the church so you could do baptisms you yep. can everything wow. a deacon can do you know it, you can do as a, yeah as a transitional deacon um so offering reflections funeral liturgies you know uh, house blessings, blessings within liturgies, mm -hmm. um, all of those types of, of functions. Nice. Yeah. And how long do you, how long are you a transitional deacon? Like what's the time the, period? Like within a year, That's you're going to get ordained. Yeah. Okay. For the most part. Um, so you're, I mean, if you get made transitional deacon, you, they're pretty much sure that you're going to be a priest. I mean, mm -hmm. is and your so, ordination so already scheduled? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so is the candidate. The candidates. Yeah. It's probably unless, pretty rare. Unless serious concerns come up. Right. Mm -hmm. If serious concerns come up, then then there's adjustments made and and there could be a postponement or a delay in the ordination or in, in certain circumstances, one is released from the clerical state mm -hmm. uh, and laicized. And then when you become a transitional deacon, that's when you start wearing the collar and everything? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, because you're a cleric. Yeah. yeah. At that point. So when you graduate... Does the bishop send you a letter and say, hey? So that's where the call to orders comes in. Like, you know, I, I received my call to orders um, in preparation for my priestly ordination the same day that, that Pope Francis was elected. Hmm. So I, I received word the same day that I received word from, you know, Rome that we have a new pope, which was a really cool uh, moment. I actually shared that with Bishop Lassard, God rest his soul. 
uh, beautiful, beautiful man. Um, I was in the seminary when Benedict was elected Pope. Mm -hmm. We were in the seminary watching. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I was, I was. I was at a bar. (laughs) I was. I was at Santa Maria del Mar. And I was working that day, and we we brought in a TV yeah. into the office and and watched. I was like twenty three or something like that, twenty four. I was on a business trip, like one of the first business trips I ever taken. As like you know, young man, I got a thing, and it's like I've never been away from home by myself. And I'm like, I'm gonna go sit in the bar, you know. Bring your briefcase into the yeah, bar, put it up on. The- and I'm sitting in the bar, and I'm like, oh, the election, you know, the conclave's still going on. And I remember I was, and here's the funny thing, I was in a bar in Orlando, when uh. Benedict was um, elected. I was in the same bar and same hotel when Francis was elected. Wow! Yeah, dang, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a hotel hotel bar in somewhere in Orlando that we would stay at a lot. Hmm. Yeah. So next time, the next time, I'll meet the, you at the at the yeah. bar. Yeah, we're gonna be watching the news. We're like, how when was Papum, Ricardo? Pagano. <laughs> and you're like, oh, dude, buy me a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, preparing for your ordination, mm-hmm. anything that happens, any you have to go, you have to go shopping at the priest store to get all your new priest clothes. Um, you're typically already already have that. Um, there was a lot of patrimony when I was going through, so guys would send in clerics that they weren't using anymore. They got new clerics and they passed them down to the guys at the seminar. So I still try to do that occasionally, send a box down. Yeah. Uh, They're of, like, who sent all son- these fart-smelling <laughs> faded clothes <laughs> in? <laughs> no thanks. And, and, you know, so I had a bunch of that stuff. And then people give you gifts, man. When you're when you're newly ordained, I mean, people load you up with everything that you really need. Yeah, you like know, chalice, Ch- chalice, chalice, and chasubles. And yeah, I was and, at your ordination, yeah. and uh, it was it was a, a really awesome party afterwards. Yeah. And you got a lot of you got a lot of gifts. Yeah, it was it was impressive, man. And that's it's like your marriage. I mean, it's pretty man, big. I danced with my mom out of the mission grounds, man. The, that uh, reception was beautiful and. Big shout out to the community in St. Augustine mm-hmm. and Kevin Partell because uh, they really put together the tent out there and the stage and we had music and we were singing I Got Friends in Low Places, you know, and danced, <laughs> to my, danced with my mother uh, that night uh, to the song of Augustine. And, and it's a beautiful song about Augustine's love for his mother, Monica, and um, very special night. What are you thinking of when the ordination is going on? I know you have to lay prostrate on the floor. Dude, I was sick as a dog. Really? I was. It was probably one of the worst sicknesses I've ever had. What I was coughing know? up black stuff. I passed out. So the so this is crazy. So maybe there was Satan leaving the body. <laughs> <laughs> Exercise. It was it was a crazy sickness. So it's really really. He's like, there goes the neighborhood. I got to bounce. Wonderful, wonderful Catholic guy, Arbizani. In uh, in St. Augustine, hooked hooked my you know my family and and my close friends up. He's got this big property right next to the cathedral, walking distance. And he said, you know, Rich you could use the you could use the house. Awesome, you know. But the AC went out. Uh-huh. I was sick. This is the night before my my ordination. I'd been like out of contact with everybody, you know, everybody's having fun. I'm like in, in my room, you know, and people are coming in from all over the place. Um, and then I, so Tetlow's like, Rich, I'll turn, I'll turn in some points. I'll get you a room at the Hilton so you could get a good night's sleep. Like appreciate it. So I went over there with him and a, a seminarian at the time, Troy Fulford, um, go up to the room 
and I'm just like out of it, man. And, and, um, so they set me up, they split and I, I lay down and I just start coughing and I couldn't stop coughing. And I coughed to the point where I passed out. And then I woke up and went downstairs. All I wanted was grapefruit, you know? So I'm sitting there with Tetlow eating, eating grapefruit. And, um, I get a call and it's, it's my buddy, Joe Gates, who's a priest down in Vettis. And he's like, Oh my gosh, Richard, they're going to move. They're going to tow your car. I'm like, what are you talking about? So the, the neighbor, he's like, you parked in the wrong spot. He's got the landscapers coming in. And now it's like probably 45 minutes to my ordination. <laughs> so now I got to walk down Apolita across the city to get the car to move. And I, I walk in, I walk up and Joe's like frantic. He's like, you know, pacing. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, and Joe has this little tiny car and he's blocking like two parking spots. And I'm like, Joe, you think you'd move the car? Could you move the car, please? So he, he runs over. He's, he's getting, I get in my car, I turn it on, I turn the AC on, and I'm like, you know, I'm just frustrated. I'm sick. I'm like, this is the day of my ordinance. This is crazy. <laughs> and and I, I look out of the corner of my eye, and Tim Holita, Father Tim Holita, comes, comes out of the gate. And he looks over at me and he lights up a cigarette and he's just like, you know, and I just look out, I just, whatever, like I don't yeah. even want to make eye contact. He beelines it over to my car and starts punching my window. Bang, 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 bang. And he's like, why don't you move your car? <laughs> <laughs> and when he did that, I laughed so hard. <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Why don't you move your car? And... And I pull the car up, I park it in the right spot, and he looked at me, he's like, how about we get you ordained today, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So I went in, got changed. Dude, I, I walked to the cathedral, like, within, like, two minutes to my ordination. Everybody's lined up. You were late, almost? I wasn't late. I showed up on time. But, like, uh, I, the case. I, walked, I walked in. <laughs> Shook the hand. I, there was three bishops. Shook the hands of the bishops. Then I shook the hands of like Monsignor Brennan and Monsignor Uli and like all the executive uh, crew of the bishop. And then I put the chasuble on and I, I put, you know, the Dalmatic or whatever. And I and we processed out, man, and I got ordained. But wow, the whole, such a goon. The whole experience, man. I mean, I had cough drops in my mouth. <laughs> and like from that day on, I always have a cough drop with me. Like, cause I have to have a cough drop because I get attacked here yeah. all the time. You need the intercession of St. Blaze, bro. Dude, uh, St. Blaze and, and my boy uh, Felix Varela, he's another one that I want to see uh, canonized in the church. But uh, he had asthma. And, you know, it was, I would not want it any other way. I would not want it any other way. It was a beautiful experience. Um, I'm glad that I was sick, man. And, and it's like, offer what you have for Like I, I didn't. <laughs> so you get ordained, you have this party. Yeah. And then does the bishop say you're going here, you're going there? Or sometimes you bishops know? tell you at the ordination. Sometimes it's before. It just depends on the bishop. Okay. The, you know, and, and you literally just I, get I, in I would your car and you. drive to that parish and that's it. Yep, and then you wow. start there, yeah. Wow. I see, if I was bishop, I'd tell them after the ordination, because if they were getting a clunker of a parish, I wouldn't want them leaving me at the altar, you know? That's right. You know what was funny, though? Like, so I get I get sent to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and I get my letter of appointment. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and they gave me a second job at, at St. Joseph Academy. Do they even give you, like, a week in between, or is it, like, boom, right to? No, no, there was, there was time. Get, like, I was able to go on pilgrimage, and, and I went, and the sickness didn't lift. 
until I was until I was in Europe, and I, I went to Medjugorje, I went to Rome, After celebrated yes, yeah, yeah. celebrated mass at the altar of JP two, which was amazing. Ooh. I had to I had to say wow. thank you to my boy, man. He got me he got me through wow. a lot. That's cool. Um, so that was really cool. So then I, I show up at the parish, and the pastor the pastor said he took vacation. <laughs> so, oh my gosh! So he wasn't there that he wasn't <laughs> oh, there that weekend. So I. I come go, in like a, I go to my office and I look at the liturgical schedule for the weekend. I got a bunch of masses and it's like how many masses Pagano. have you said at this point? Two not many, three, like five. Yeah, not many. <laughs> um, and I look and it says Pagano SP in parentheses. I'm like, Spanish. I think I know what that means. Spanish. I said I'm just gonna go talk with the the man, the business manager. So I went in. And I said, Hey, I see you know Pagano SP. I said, What does that mean? He says, oh, the Spanish mass. I said, you realize I don't speak Spanish, right? <laughs> and she's like, she's like, oh, we thought you did. I said, well, we're going to find out. So I went in. I celebrated the Spanish mass. I mean, you can speak read, enough Spanish. Yeah, I, I could I could pronounce. Like at that time, all I could do was really read, pronounce and yeah. read the word. So I, well, so I read, if you're doing Spanish, I read how the come not Latin modernist? <laughs> hmm? <laughs> Dominus Fobisco. Et cum spiritu tuo. Hey, man, I could So do you it. write a homily and then you hit translate button on Google or something? No, like they have this awesome website I found. I contacted some of my friends <laughs> and, and, they, and it was like, gave you a Spanish homily. Oh. So I did that for a while. And then I, I asked the community, <laughs> I said, you know, do, do y'all want me to, you know, read my, my homily in Spanish or do you want me to preach in Spanglish? And they were like, Preaching Spanglish. So then, then I'd, play, I'd be sitting there giving a homily and I'd be like, uh, como se dice? You know, and then they would give me the oh, word back. It was, it was a lot of, I, I, miss, I miss the Spanish community. That's when I got really, really comfortable with celebrating mass in a different language. And, and I absolutely loved it. What was your first mass like? Dude, that was uh, sunrise mask, feast, sunrise mass, feast of Pentecost. I was or, I was ordained on uh, on JP 2s birthday. Mm -hmm. The very next day was uh, the feast of Pentecost, and sunrise at the rustic altar um, in St Augustine. That's we, the one looking straight straight to the water, yeah, right? That's yeah. like the the recreation of the yeah. yeah okay, I remember that place. That and that awesome. the the original that that it's where the same spot. Yeah, we, exactly with. 100% certainty, that's where they erected the, the So altar. that's where the first mass in America was said. Wow. Well, technically, the first mass in America was said in St. Pete, so oh. on, on the West Coast. This was the first mass celebrated where the colonization effort in America and the first community mm -hmm. was successful and they didn't die. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th that was a that was a huge a lot of the other attempts failed. So the first mass technically was the Diocese of St. Augustine, I might add. St. Pete was carved out later. But nonetheless, it yep. was it was uh actually on the West Coast. But um but we have the first parish, we have the first, you know, every, everything, school, all of that. How'd you, how'd you manage in your first mass? Did you mess up? Dude, I felt like I've, I was do, I've been doing it my whole life. That was the feeling. Like I felt very, very, it, it was very natural. I mean, do they have, they, I mean, I'm sure they teach you on rubrics, oh, yeah. but I mean, do you go through the whole mass? Oh yeah, you go through that in class. Yeah. So, you know, when you get later in your, in your program, in your master's program, you're focusing more on the practicalities mm -hmm. of of what you do on a day to day basis. Yeah, I remember one time in the major seminary, I walked into the room where we all watch TV, and there was a guy in there practicing. I'm like, 
oh, that's what those guys do later on. Yeah. <laughs> he's just practicing the mass. Yeah. Uh, Wait, you said he's in the order of Lecter still? Mm-hmm. Do you remember him being a Lecter in Houston? Oh, that was the best. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, I know. <laughs> he grabbed the he grabbed the <laughs> the scriptures in the Magnificat, and he starts. Uh, he reads his first reading, and then he looks around like, "Hey, you I know, want to do the second reading? Anybody want to do the second reading?" Like, no. but he kind of mumbled it, like he didn't like say it clearly. And he's like looking around, he's like, oh, oh. Right, fine. And, then, <laughs> and then he just went right back in. Ah, and then Pagano looks at me, and I almost oh yeah, it was I almost, funny. my lungs almost collapsed. It was, it great. was funny. Um, that was a feast of St. Joseph, the solemnity. Any advice? I mean, I think this is a really good overview. Yeah. Right. To, you know, this is kind of practical. Two dudes who went to the seminary, you know, the kinds of things that you uh, experience. Um, any other advice or anything that, you know, might not be right off the top of the mind, something people would think about entering the seminary that you'd want to share with them? I always wrestled with what Bishop Gallione used to say. But I believe, like now, I I believe, and I I think I know what he what he meant because about when, the dofall <laughs> <laughs> when when like kids would like come up like you know maybe I'll be a priest or whatever he was always very stern and he would be like he'd be like uh, only if God calls you only if God calls you you become a priest. And I, w- I was always thinking, like, we need priests, man. Bishop, come on. Like, you know, like, it's great to you know, be a priest. But he's, it's absolutely true, man. Like, living, living this life, it's, it is a vocation. And it, it will call you to holiness, and it will, you know, it's challenging. It's a challenging life. Um, it'll bring you to your knees every day. It's the most beautiful life. But don't. Pursue it unless you're being called by God to do it. Yeah, otherwise you just you just get drug along. Yeah, and and you'll be miserable. Fish out of water. Yeah, yeah and you'll be miserable if you don't have that intimate relationship with Christ, and and you're feeling that call, and and you're you're recognizing, like, and people are recognizing it in you too. Like mm. people are affirming it, and they're seeing that priestly character in you. Like discern that, but discern the voice of Christ. Hear his, hear him calling you to the priesthood. That's what's going to hold you through every storm. Yeah, I think a lot of people might have the potential to romanticize being a priest. Like, oh, I'm going to get the collar, I'm going to get oh, the vestments, totally. the same mass. And, but, and then, but then the reality is like, you know, I got to go to a hospital and it's, you know, someone dying. I've got to balance the books. I've got to deal with somebody, you know, using too much paper towels in the back. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> to it, right? Um, well, you also get called like, and and that's the thing about discernment. While we talk about that, is you get called to marriage, you get sure. called to a consecrated life, you, like you get called to be a two-bit producer who looks like a fisherman. <laughs> all <laughs> kinds of callings. Yeah, and and that that's the most important thing is to to discern God's call in your life because yeah. that that is that is where you feel at home. Like he that like he said at the first mass. Yeah, you know, it's like I I feel like I've been doing this forever. Any discernment you know? prayers that you liked? Hmm. Any books, anything like that? A thirty-three day consecration, the Saint Louis de Montfort thirty-three day consecration is is the, I think one of the best vocational, discernment prayers mm-hmm. out there. I think the soul of the apostolate was very very helpful to me, um, and really accompanied my prayer beautifully. Um, the scriptures, honestly, like, you know, the prophets, um, 
were also very, very supportive to my vocational discernment. Um, and then just the intimacy of, of the liturgy of the hours, praying the liturgy of the hours, um, is, is amazing yeah. when it comes to, to pray. And, and that it's very fitting, right? Because, you know, there's an obligation there, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, and you're really fully participating in the life yeah. of the church and, uh, and in the Eucharist, um, liturgy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that, um, the intercession of the saints, like for me, uh, my vocation is very, very intimately tied to JP2's intercession and, and his life, his papacy, his, his charism. Um, so having a patron that, that you really develop a, a relationship and a journey with, St. Rita was also very huge because I was affiliated on her feast day, May 22nd, 2006. And she, she, I just gave my discernment to her and she did me very well. She guided me very well. You know, you mentioned how that, that year that you spent with Father Tetlow really helped prepare you because you were functionally living like you were in ministry, even though mm -hmm. you weren't, you know, unofficially, you know, in the ministry of the church. Um, and I think for a lot of men, look, if you're, you know, for a lot of men, having that kind of regiment, having those habits are what really helps you figure out who you really are. Yes. And if you're a man who's maybe married and not discerning the priesthood, but you're having a kind of hard time figuring out how, who you are and how you should live, uh, Exodus 90 is a great app for that, mm -hmm. right? It uses prayer, asceticism, and fraternity to help break down the bad habits, help set you up almost like you are living a monastic life in the laity. You know, you're reading the scripture, you're making sacrifices, you're cutting out things that are superfluous to your life, and you're making sure that you're orienting your life towards God, which really is discernment. It's a kind of form of discernment to say, look, I want to be better. What should I be doing at this stage in my life? So if that's something that's interesting to you, go check out exodus90.com right now. You can try the app out for free. It is a great app for men who want to reorient their life towards Christ and to be the man that God intended them to be. Mm -hmm. It's an it's an excellent program. You know, I know when we did it a, a while back, it was it just reinforces fraternity in your life and and really striving after virtue. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's I've encouraged that I've done it a couple times myself. But in the parish too, there's there's groups that are going on. You know, starting uh, they've already started, and and you know, it's it's just impressive. It's a great great program. Yeah, yeah. you can also find that peace and that desire that you have for finding God's will outdoors. That's right. And and doing adventurous things too with other men. That's why we started Estovir Expeditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's one is the internal life, one's the external right. life. I think they play together both, well. They, yeah. they, yeah. They, both, both. they both generate the same renewal uh and closeness to God um just in different avenues. Yeah. And yeah, uh, we also have a female version, Fiat Expeditions are going mm -hmm. to Bozeman, Montana, but we're talking High adventure, mm -hmm. rafting, mm -hmm. hiking. It's an adventurous pilgrimage. You know? Yeah, it's that's cool. exactly what it's it very is. very cool. I'm looking yeah. forward to it as well. Yeah. yeah, shout out to our sponsors. So check out exodus90.com and estoverexpeditions.com. And, you know, I hope that this helped, you know, certainly for the people who are discerning, you know, know our, of our prayers for you, you know, and each of us should employ discernment in our journey. Because as Delacrosse was saying, you know, like the vocation is, is the vocation to become holy and, and being made holy and fulfilling that call before God is the essence of our joy. And, you know, the joy that I have in my priesthood and how much I'm just so humbled and grateful for, for this call is, is, uh, is a gift beyond telling. Like, it's just, it's something that I really 
uh, try to live out each and every day and pray for vocations. Pray for vocations to the priesthood and the religious life. We need men and women responding to the call of consecrated life. Yeah, I'd like to get a, a women's religious uh, director on here as well mm-hmm. to talk about women's discernment as yeah. well. I think that's another thing that the good Lord, the, the sisters of the church... Mm. Yeah, maybe the most. They're probably more important to me. Where than would priests, you be? Yeah, where would you be you know, without your sisters that yeah, you talked the, about? The, all the nuns and all the you know women's religious. That really, I think, has had a bigger impact on me than the priests. Mm-hmm. You know that, and the priests have been awesome. So I'd like to do that as well. So for women who are listening to this, who are discerning, we'll get something for you as well. But for the young men listening to this, or older men, you know, if you you're discerning, we really wanted to do this because. I mean, we got so many people asking about it. Yeah, so many yeah. people listen say, you know, and I think it's because, you know, when you're discerning, you start gravitating towards things like this or books or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, Father Rich, thanks for sharing that testimony. I think it was a realistic view and not up high in the sky, you know, overly romanticized or overly religiousized yeah. view of what it actually and, takes and to become dude, a priest. like romanticizing it is a part of the process. You're, yeah. go, you're going to do that necessarily. I, I did it when I was in undergrad at, at Ave. Like I had this, you know, amazing concept of what the priesthood was going to be. And it was not that at all. <laughs> and, and same thing about being a pastor when you're a parochial vicar or you're a newly ordained guy. You're like, when I'm a pastor, this is what, you know, and then you start living it. And it's like, no, not that, not that way you either. You grow up. Yeah. And it's like, you know, just responding, responding to God's call today and, and taking your steps and your journey. He guides you. He's a shepherd. He loves you. He's going to strengthen you for whatever you got to face and, and do. Awesome. Praise be to God. Good and episode. Yeah, great episode. Uh, before you go, give us a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Discern to subscribe. It's not Don't a even discern. To get over it already. <laughs> Terrible director, but you're right. Don't discern. Just do it. <laughs> Take the leap. And, uh, you know, be sure that you're following us on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we're on Podbean. I don't know if you know that. Podbean. I don't even know what Podbean is, but you press that all the time. I do. It's a great, it's a great uh, podcast. You just like saying. I do. It's Podbean. Yeah, but we're on uh, Spotify, yeah. too. Make sure to iTunes. Yeah, Spotify, Stitcher. Google Podcasts. Yeah, all of them. Google Play. That's it. Podcast Bean. Pod, Podbean. Podbean. Well, my brothers and sisters, God bless, and we'll see you next week. Mm.